The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, everyone. It is uh, wonderful to be able to spend this time with you. Glad you can be here, either physically or, uh, I guess, mentally and spiritually as you tune in. Uh, I'll just say again, we sure miss meeting together as one body. Uh, we long for the day when that can occur in fullness. But now it's time to set our minds on God's word, so let's do that together. We're continuing our study through the Apostle John's first letter to this group of churches he loved so much. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Again, that's 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. You'll remember that the major theme of 1 John, as we've seen, is that of assurance. How do you know, deeply know, that you truly know the real God? How do you know? That's what this letter is about. So let's hear the words of God through his apostle. Again, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. 1 John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's ask for help. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to overcome the world. Help us see what you have done. Let, help us see what that means and help us live it out. Work in our lives by the power of your Spirit as we study and meditate on your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you heard a theme repeated several times in those five verses, didn't you? Three times very quickly. This is the one who overcomes the world. This is how you overcome the world. This is what it looks like to overcome the world. So what do you think this section is about? How do we overcome the world? And as I was pondering this question, I was thinking, you know, maybe a couple months ago that sounded kind of like a churchy question. Uh, escape the world, hide together from the world. What does it mean to overcome the world? But now I'm thinking... I'm thinking the world itself is asking this question deeply, even if it doesn't even know what it's asking. How do we overcome the world? I mean, think about it. For in the last three months, we've been punched in the jaw by the world in ways we've never experienced before, at least on a broad scale. I don't have to tell you, but I will go over it. It's one, over thi one overwhelming thing in another, after another, right? COVID and all its interpretations, implications. And then last week, even COVID was forgotten with the awful display of injustice on George Floyd. He had an unrighteous man's knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds to the point that it killed him. And we know that for so many, his story represents a broader story of systematic racism and injustice that has endured for centuries. I was thankful for the perspective of my black friends this week. 
They were wonderful examples to me with their responses. They were mature. They were measured. They were Christ-centered. But the pain of systematic racism is palpable. How do we overcome the world? Add to that the deep disappointment, or how do we put this into words? Anger, frustration regarding the violent riots and looting. We have some family friends through our school network. Um, this family owns a pizza parlor. They're already struggling, barely making it due to COVID. Last week, they were looted. Their pizza parlor was looted. How that fosters justice or honors the memory of George Floyd, we'll never know. But it all adds together to give us this undercurrent of desperation right now. The world is, you know, feeling itself, and we're feeling it. And so this question, how do we overcome the world? How do we know any victory from the world? How do we have hope in this world? Well, amazingly, that's what John wants to tell us about in this text, overcoming the world. He wants to show us what it looks like to overcome the world. And I take heart in this, obviously, right? This letter was written a long time ago. A long time ago. And that's a good reminder that the world being difficult is not a new thing. In fact, what did Jesus say? John 16, 33. It was a promise. In this world, you will have tribulation. That, wor that word tribulation means in this world, you will be pressed. You will know affliction. You will have trouble. You will have difficulty. So it shouldn't be a surprise. It's not a new problem. In this world, you have trouble. Oh, but that next line, take heart. Be encouraged. Why? Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I love that how, even though it's before his death and resurrection, he speaks of it in the past tense. Why do you speak in the past tense when the event is still in the future? It's when you're saying, it's as good as done. There's, there's no question on who wins here. Take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. Jesus went through the world, everything it could bring. Jesus overcame the world. He's won an overwhelming victory over the world. And in him, his people have and will and can as well. We can overcome the world. So I want to think through three main things with you this morning about what it means, how we can overcome the world. Number one, I want to remind us of what we mean by the world and the part we play in it. What are we... What are we talking about when we say overcome the world? Overcome what about the world? In what way? So what do we mean by that? What do we mean by the world and our part in it? Number two, I want to see the fundamental overcoming of the world that has already happened for us, past and future. The fundamental overcoming we already have. And then because of that, I want to think about the active overcoming of the world we can play a part in right now. The active overcoming. So this is what we're looking at. What's it mean? What do we mean by the world? What's it mean? That's number one. Number two, see the fundamental overcoming, past and future we already have. And then three, the, uh, think about the active overcoming of the world and what it means for us right now. So first of all, we want to overcome the world. What do we mean by world? Well, let's think first about what John doesn't mean by the word world. 
Of course, you can use lots of words for lots of different reasons, lots of different ways. Uh, is John talking about uh, the globe or forests and trees or mountains or sunsets overcoming the world? No, he's not, he's not talking about the created world. God made that. It's good. It's beautiful. That's, that's not what we're thinking of. What we're thinking of here is very different than that. And I, I would summarize it like this. The world here in John's mind is the idolatrous system of thinking, valuing, and behaving. An idolatrous system of thinking, valuing, and behaving. So let's unpack that real quick. Idolatrous, what does that mean? Well, we remember, every single one of us is a worshiper. You're giving yourself to something in hopes that it will meet those epic needs of your heart. You're looking to something. You're trusting in something for meaning or purpose or moral authority or satisfaction. And so the big question is, are you looking to the real God to be your functional God? Is the thing you're looking to as a functional God the actual God? And sin is when we aren't looking to the real God for what we need. You remember that foundational lie of Satan in the garden. Three-part lie. God's not good. He's not good. He doesn't have good intentions for you. Second part of his lie. His word's not true. You can't believe what he said. And then the third part is inevitable if you buy the first two. If he's not good and his word's not true, you'll replace him with something else. You'll look to something else to satisfy you, give your meaning, your identity, your hope. You'll look to some other foundation of truth in order to find those needs you have to be met. That's idolatry, and that's the heartbeat of sin. As a sinner, I have done those things. And we know from experience and from God's word, each one of you has as well. So when we talk about the world, the system of idolatrous thinking, valuing, behaving, it's like when we all bring that together corporately and have whole entire um, streamlines or, or focuses, systems on how we think about life, on what's most beautiful about life, what we value, and on how we ought to live. And we, when we do that, apart from God, it's worldliness, it's sinfulness, it's brokenness. And John has made very clear that when we understand the word world in this way, God and the world are not friends. And you can see why, because the world is offering a counterfeit God all the time. It's offering disobedience to God all the time. And so we remember what John wrote, 1 John 2, 15 and 16. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, John's really clear, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here's, here's what John means when he's thinking of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's not from the Father. That is from the world. So the world is a system of idolatrous thinking, loving, and doing that acts apart from and in rebellion to God. And the honest truth for us is that each one of us has been or is enslaved to the world. We've participated. We bit the hook. We jumped in. I'll just give one example from Scripture. Ephesians 2.2, 2, the apostle writes, 
He's talking to this church that he loves. They've been saved, but this is what he writes. Ephesians 2.2, and you were, you were what? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following, can you guess? The course of this world, following the flow of this world. That's an interesting kind of deadness, isn't it? You're not a corpse. You're actually very active, thinking, loving, and doing, but you're dead in the sense that it's in rebellion against God. And we were all there. We've each joined the world. We've each participated. We've each followed the lust of the flesh, this over-desire for something where we'll do anything to get it. We've each had the lust of the eyes where we value things in the wrong way and sell ourselves to them. We've each had this boastful pride of life where we thought we had some accomplishment, some standard we've reached where we take pride in it and boast about it and then demean others who don't quite have it. And that's why what we're seeing what we're seeing in our world today, we can know to be worldliness in full bloom. It's worldliness in full bloom. Racism is worldliness. Amen? It's worldliness. The true God tells us every human being is made in his image with dignity. That's what his word says. And it says we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. But the world finds a boastful pride of life that, one, that makes one group see fit to take selfish pride in itself and demean and despise the abuse of others. It's worldliness. Violent writing, looting, and revenge, that's worldliness. We want what we want when we want it. Take revenge for personal gain. So the world is the idolatrous system of thinking, valuing, and behaving. And left to ourselves, we are slaves to it because all of us, to some extent, have participated in it. That's what John means by the world. And that's what we need to overcome. We need to overcome the world. But here's the next question. How can we, how can we do that? I mean, I've been a, a willing participant in the world. How can I, on my own, deliver myself from the world? Of course, it's not going to happen. That's the gospel. We can't save ourselves. Salvation comes from outside. And Jesus came, right? We heard him say it, John 16, 33. He overcomes the world. You think about his life. He never bowed one time to the system of the world, did he? He never followed its course. Always in every way, he loved his father. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Always in every way, he lived and loved and spoke the truth. And we know that through his life and his death and his resurrection, we are delivered from the world. First of all, we're delivered, we're set free from the penalty of joining the world. Jesus died on the cross for all of my worldliness. I'm so thankful for that. He took the penalty on himself for every way that I have rebelled. Through faith in him, Jesus gives all who trust his righteousness. The beauty and the perfection of the resume of his life is given freely as a gift to all who trust in him so that the Father would look on those in Christ and say, forgiven, innocent, justified, mine. 
separate from the world. So not only does Jesus give us victory over the penalty of our joining the world, but he also gives us victory over the power of slavery to the world. When we come to Christ, we are given a new system of thinking, loving, and doing that's based on our relationship with our Father according to his word. We're set free. We're o- we overcome the world. So how do you know, I want to ask, that you share in this overcoming of the world? How do you know that you have it? Let's look at our text. 1 John 5, verse 1. Or sorry, verse 4. 1 John 5, verse 4. There John writes, everyone who has been born of God, what? Overcomes the world. So how do you know you've overcome the world? You've been born of God. Well, I don't know if that gives you clarity or not, or maybe it leads you to another question. How do you know you've been born of God? How do you know that has happened to you? John, 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. How do you overcome the world? You're born again. How do you get born again? You trust your heart to Christ. The way these Greek words work here is really important to understand. Because the way John uses the word believing is a present active participle. So what that means is, if you're someone who, we're not talking about you believed once a long time ago and then you forgot about it, it doesn't really change your life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of believing where this is your life every day. You're trusting in Jesus all the time. You have a, you have a living faith where you know and you love and you look to him. Uh, If you are present, actively now believing who Jesus is as the eternal son of God who became flesh, he's the promised king according to the scriptures, You, you trust his life, his death, his resurrection. If you're believing that, present, active, participle, then John says you have been born of God. That's in the perfect tense, which in the Greek means that it's something that's completed in the past, once for all, never to be repeated. It's already occurred and nothing can change it. So this is the encouragement. You have to ask yourself, what's the nature of your trust in Christ? Is it a real living faith that is moving in you? If you you look in your heart and say, yeah, I, I trust him. I need him. John is saying you can know that at that first moment of faith, you were born of God. Your salvation is sure, it's complete, it's done, it's never to be changed. And therefore, you perfectly share in the victory that Jesus has won. And this is what I mean by the fundamental overcoming. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory, John says. It's our faith in Christ. We've won. Now, this word overcome, it might sound familiar to you. It comes from a, a root word, nikao. Nikao. So in English, I'm kind of spelling it N-I-K-A-O. Nikao. Take the A-O away and put an E. Nike. Anybody winning one of those? It means to win, to overcome. So evidently, if you wear those shoes, you'll always win doesn't quite work that way, but that's the idea of the word. It's the idea of of victory. 
of conquering, of overcoming. And so John is being so strong and so encouraging here when he says, you've won the victory over the world in Christ. The battle is already finished. And that fundamental victory we have in Christ, it just echoes out in a thousand ways. Read Revelation today and see how many times God's people are called overcomers. The one who overcomes to the end or conquerors. We're more than conquerors. In fact, I want to show you that. Listen to your victory here. Romans 8. You're probably all familiar with these texts, but it's so so important for today. Romans 8:35. Paul is thinking of the great victory of God's people in Christ. And this is what he writes, Romans 8:35. He asks, "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword?" Those are all these things we get in this system of the world, aren't they? Can those separate you from the love of Christ? Can they separate you from the victory Christ has won? Paul answers his own question in Romans 8.37. No. In all these things, what are we? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. First of all, why the past tense? Couldn't Paul say we're more than conquerors through him who now loves us? Present? He could have said that, right? Why does he say we're more than conquerors through him who loved past tense? What's he trying to get you to look at? The cross. That's always the overwhelming picture of his love and his victory. The cross and resurrection. And then this word then, Paul, he he invents a word in Romans 8.37. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. So he takes that same word, nekomen, conqueror, and adds a prefix, huper, to it. So it's like you're a a super victor or you're an, an overwhelming conqueror. It's this new word to just... He's trying to explode the idea of this fundamental victory that Christians have in Christ over the world. And he finishes his chapter like this, Romans 8, 38. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can take you away from Christ's love as seen in Christ's victory on your behalf? And the answer is nothing. You realize how much we overcome the world? I guess the worst thing the world can do is kill you. And guess where that takes you? To your victory, to the face of Christ. We win, church. We win. We've already won. Jesus has overcome the world. And if you put your faith in him, everything that he has won is yours. And nothing can separate you from his love. If you're listening right now and you're feeling despair over the state of the world, um, I feel that too. If you're not a Christian and you're wondering where you can find hope or meaning or purpose or guidance trying to survive this world that gives trouble, let me point you to Jesus and the stability that he brings. The, the, the reality that he brings, in this world you will have trouble. But Jesus says, I've overcome it. 
I'll receive you. I'll forgive you. I'll embrace you. I'll make you mine. And if you come to me in faith, Jesus says, I'll be yours and, and all of my victory will be yours. And you know, Christians, we hope for ultimately, right? A new world. A perfect world of righteousness and peace and joy and harmony as we are in the face of God. That world is coming when Jesus returns. That's our victory. And it's as good as done. How do we overcome the world? Let's remember what it is. System of idolatrous thinking, loving, doing. It's in rebellion against God. In this world, you'll have trouble. But Jesus has overcome the world. And the fundamental overcoming is who he is and what he's done. And it's yours if you put your living, trusting faith in him. All that he's done is yours. That's the fundamental overcoming. And we already have it. It's already ours. But our last question, our last idea to consider, what does it mean then now to overcome the world in our daily living? What does it look like now? Uh, we'll go to 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5. John says there, Everyone who's been, who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The reason I, I bring those verses up again is that the language is clear in the nature of this word overcome, that there's a process now happening in the present that we are actually overcoming the world right now. It's not just in our salvation. It's not just in our resurrection. There's something happening now where we overcome, and that's what we need to see. What does it look like to overcome the world now in your daily life? Well, remember the big picture of this letter. What's 1 John about? It's about assurance. And John has given us four really objective tests or criterion so that we can truly know we belong to God. Do you remember what those are? I hope you kind of scratch these down in the, in the notes of your mind. What are, how do you know you belong to God? There's been four tests. Number one, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you have the true meaning of Jesus in that word you use, Jesus? Do you believe he's eternally the son of God? Do you believe he really came in the flesh and lived a perfect life, died for sins, rose from the dead? Do you believe he's God's promised king according to the scriptures? Do you believe he's the Christ? If you do, that's a good sign you belong to God. If you don't, John says you don't even know the real God. We know him through Christ. That's the first test. The second test, an honest confession of your sin. If we claim to be without sin, John has said, the truth, we lie and the truth's not in us. Do you know that you're broken and you need a savior? That's the second test. Number three, the test that we know God is we love God by obeying his commands. As recorded in his word, we show that we know and belong to God as we, as we treasure and deeply care about what he's written in his word and want to live it out. And the fourth test is we are ready to give ourselves up in love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Self-giving love. He laid his life down for us, John says. We lay our life down for the brothers. Those are those four tests. That's how you build assurance, the knowledge that you really know God. And we see that in play here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Do you see those tests? When you love God and you love his people, it's a sign that the world doesn't own you anymore. These tests of assurance are the overcoming of the world. The world doesn't want you to trust Christ. 
those who've overcome do. The world wants to build up a salvation by self-righteousness, your works. Those who overcome know they're sinners, and Jesus has saved them. The world is certainly not about loving God according to the commands in the Bible. But if you're overcoming, that's what you're about. And the world is not about self-sacrificial love for brothers and sisters. But those who know the Father, that's what they're about. That's how we overcome. When you love God, you love his people. It's a sign the world doesn't own you anymore. How do you know that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? This is fascinating to me. Look at 1 John 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we what? When we love God and obey his commandments. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We're focused now into this, into this target. We're overcoming the world is focused in on loving God and loving people according to his word. We had in the world an idolatrous system of thinking, loving, doing. Now we have something new. A God-centered relationship of thinking according to his truth, loving his truth and doing what he's commanded. Do you see this is the love of God when we keep his commands and his commands aren't what? Burdensome. So this means that if you're looking at God's word and you're like, oh, it's chains, it's a straitjacket, that's awful. You don't even know love yet. The way to truly love is to love the truth of his commands and put those into practice in our relationships. And that overcomes the world. This is how we know we love. We love God and obey his commands. This is the love of God. We keep his commands. His commands aren't burdensome. So the way practically to overcome the world in everyday life is to love God and others according to his commands and his word. John leaves it at that, right? He's giving broad principles. I want to focus in for our last moments together on something a little more detailed. On how, what it can look like to overcome the world as we live in relationship with one another according to God's commands. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time, it's going to be really confronting. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time, I'm going to ask you ahead of time to, to measure yourself by these commands. These are God's commands. And remember that to know we've overcome the world is to grow in saying, these commands aren't burdensome anymore. This is what I want. And that's what it means to overcome. So we're going to visit Romans 12. Just for a moment, Romans 12. We'll start in 12, 1 to 2, just to kind of give you a heading on, the on, the, on what's happening in the chapter. Uh, Paul, obviously, through the book of Romans, has expounded on who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for us as Christians. And now in Romans 12, he wants practical life change based on God's mercy, based on the salvation Jesus has won. This is what it looks like to follow him and to know him. So familiar verses, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, he sounds a little like John here, doesn't he? Don't be conformed to what? This world. But be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. There's a new way to think and to love and to do 
based on God and his word. Then I'm going to take you down to Romans 12, verse 14. We're going to look at 14 to 21. And I want you to feel these verses and how the truth of these verses would especially overcome the world in our setting today. And as we look at them, ask, ask yourself, I've got to ask myself, are these commands burdensome to me or do I find them beautiful? Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Take our own pulse here for a second. What has come out of your mouth and your typing lately? Does it sound like blessing? It doesn't mean we don't confront. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean uh, we're not honest. It doesn't mean that. But it means that those who know Jesus and who are overcoming the world long to and want to bless those who persecute them, bless them and not curse. And wouldn't that look different than the world? Wouldn't that overcome? Look at verse 15. Think about relationships with people who are handling these situations very differently. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What's the next phrase? Weep with those who weep. Empathy is overcoming the world. Relationship and coming near those who are different is part of overcoming the world. Isn't that what Jesus did for me and for you? Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. That's a command. I love the idea of harmony because I, I enjoy music. And, you know, sometimes if you're terrible at piano, like I am, you play two notes and they are discordant. And everyone around you is like, stop, please. But harmony is two different notes set just right so that they make one another sound even better. We're different. We have different views on things. They're passionate sometimes. Look at this command. Live in harmony with one another. It's a command. With all the division and polarization in this world, to have a heart that moves towards harmony, not at the denial of truth, but in the desire of the heart. Look at verse 16 again. Don't be haughty. Associate the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Social media posters who want to overcome the world. What does this mean? Don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean don't post. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean don't study. It doesn't mean don't care. But what does it mean to never be haughty in your own sight? To never be bro uh, braggadocious or self-righteous or demeaning in tone. This is God's command. And those who overcome finds his, find his commands to not be burdensome, but to be beautiful. I'm confronted by this chapter, are you? Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight 
Of who? All. That's a tough one. What do you think all means? All. To consider what's honorable in someone else's sight? Again, it doesn't mean you agree with them in every way. Paul certainly didn't. And it doesn't mean you don't state the truth. But to consider what other people think and to want to move in as much as you can into what is honorable in their sight. It means you're willing to give yourself up. It's a new level of humility. And this is what it means to overcome the world. If possible, verse 18, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. And peace is not just the absence of, um, of war. You know, sometimes I think especially guys think peace means, well, I didn't hit him. That's not biblical peace. Peace is thriving relationship. As far as you can, that's what we want. It doesn't always work. The other people aren't always going to be ready for it. They're not always going to want it. But this is what it means to overcome the world. Look at verse 19. Beloved. What do, you, what, do you, what do we need to remember here? Beloved. Why that word? What's that mean? You're loved. Don't forget. Don't forget you're loved. Don't forget you have everything in Christ. Don't forget you've already overcome. Don't forget you've already won the victory. Don't forget justice is coming when Jesus returns. You're loved. You're in his hands. Beloved, when you know that, what's the command? Verse 19, never avenge yourself. What are the little passive, aggressive moments of revenge you've been after lately. They come too easy, don't they? Somebody says something, does something, comes across in a way. Well, they deserve, right? You're going to get what they deserve now. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't take that attitude with you? What would Jesus' revenge look like? It's coming. In perfect justice, it's coming. It's going to look like hell. But thankfully, he took that for his people. There's no revenge coming on us that we deserve rightfully for our sins. And therefore, because we have been so loved, guess what Christians sign off on now? Never again, never again. What can we never do again? Never avenge yourselves. What's our freedom and safety to do that? Leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. You, you think he's up for it? You think he's up for it to vindicate you? You think he's up for it to put evil in his place when it's time? You think he's strong enough, wise enough? You think he'll get it done? In fact, do you think when it comes, it'll come so strong where even we might be like, whoa. It will come. Don't avenge yourself. This is what it means to overcome the world. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Worldliness responds to evil with more evil. Worldliness tries to build up justice by chopping it down. Worldliness gets revenge. What about us as Christians? We say we hate evil, right? Do you hate evil? How much do you hate it? 
Well, this is the test of it. It's when someone does evil to you. I'll tell you about my own sin. When someone is evil to me, I want to get them back. I want to nail them. I want to say the right thing. I want, to, I want this zinger. I want to get them. But then if I want that, it shows me, do I really hate evil? Or do I love my pride? The boastful pride of life that it's at the heart of worldliness. If we hate evil, what will we overcome evil with? Good. Don't be, what's the word? Overcome by evil. Overcome, same word. Don't be overcome by evil. You're overcome by evil when you respond to evil with evil. To be an overcomer right now, today, is because of the victory you have in Christ through what he's done for you, you overcome evil with good. This is what it means to overcome the world. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's so hard. We need that new nature from Jesus. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have him in Christ. We have him. And so that means to overcome the world, we love God and one another according to his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, but they're beautiful. And imagine, imagine if groups of people were living the end of Romans 12 right now. Would that look different? Would that shine like a light? Would that show people Christ? Would it show the victory that he's won? It certainly would. So we want, to be, we want to be encouraged today, and we want to be challenged today. Let's just wrap it up here. Number one, we're going to overcome the world. What are, what are we talking about with the world? A system of idolatrous thinking, loving, behaving. We have the fundamental victory in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. We have it. He has conquered sin and death in his life, death, and resurrection. He's won. It's finished, he said. And if you trust yourself to him, everything that he's won is yours. You have the fundamental overcoming. You have been born again. You will be raised from the dead. It's all yours. And because of that overcoming in Christ, that means now, today, overcome the world. How? Loving God. Loving your neighbor according to his commands. Don't you want to grow in this with me? Let's overcome the world because it has been overcome. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the way you've overcome the world. We thank you for the beauty of who you are, the glory of your gracious love for us. We thank you for what you've accomplished for us in the cross, and we pray that that would just overwhelm us with joy and meaning and power and passion and purpose, Lord, in you. And as we go out into this world, you were right, Lord, this world is full of trouble and brokenness and deceit and despair and injustice. Uh, the world is not in our hands, but we are in your hands, and we pray that as we go out into the world, we would overcome what has already been overcome in our thinking, loving, and doing for your glory, that we would love you and we would love our neighbor according to your commands. It would not be burdensome, but it would be beautiful that all could see the victory that you have won. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.